Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to Killer Women Podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air Global Network with more than 4 million listeners. I am your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Kaz Freer. When she's not agonizing over snappy dialogue or incisive prose, Kaz can be found shouting at Arsenal football matches. She is the author of the crime mystery series featuring Kat Kinsella, Sweet Little Lies, which was nominated for a Barry Award, Stone Cold Heart, and Shed No Tears. She grew up in Coventry, England, where she now lives. Welcome, Kaz. Thank you for having me. Ah, so happy to have you. So, Kaz, look at this beautiful cover, and I wore pink to match. It looks like... Uh, <laughs> oh, wore... why didn't I think of that? <laughs> um, and um, it was a super fun read. I actually gobbled this up. Let's talk about... Um, Tell our readers, our listeners, a little bit about Five Bad Deeds. Sure. Um, yeah, so Five Bad Deeds is really the story of um, a woman called Ellen Walsh, who um, kind of believes that she's a good person, as in, um, you know, she'd always be the first to offer somebody a lift, and she volunteers for things, and, you know, if you needed something, you needed to borrow something, she'd be the first to offer, and she'd probably drive it over to you, and all those sort of little things, she is kind of on the surface, quite a good person, whatever that means, um, and that's certainly how she sees herself, and she assumes that's the way that other people see her as well, um, but then, yeah, I mean, the kind of the title of the book says that all these events from her past sort of come back and she has to review that self-appraisal, really, and sort of dig deeper. So it's kind of, I mean, there's lots of themes going throughout the book, but it is that sense of what is a good person and does intention matter so much? Because um, that is, I guess that's why she would think that she's a good person. She would never intentionally upset anyone but intention doesn't always matter. She can mm -hmm. be quite <laughs> Do you remember sort of where the seed of the story comes from? I'm always interested in sort of the origin of, of story. Yeah, I do. And it's a really weird one and it doesn't <laughs> paint in a brilliant light to begin with. So I'll give it a little bit of context, but um, <laughs> I've never actually had one of those kind of light bulb moments with my books. With my others, they just sort of, I'd get a rough idea for something and then I'd layer it. But this... It basically happened. I was in a restaurant and I never complain about anything. I'm just one of those people, whether it's the restaurant or the hairdressers, even if I'm going, oh, God, what have you done to my hair? I'll go, oh, it's great. Thank you. The same in the restaurants, the same, you know, like a lot of people. Um, but we'd had really, really bad service in the restaurant, rude service. I could, it wouldn't have bothered me so much if it wasn't, you know, it just was a bit incompetent, but the waitress was really, really rude. And I didn't complain, but just as we were walking out, the manager said to me, um, oh, was everything okay? And just for the first time in my life, I just thought, well, I'm going to tell the truth. I'm going to say, no, it wasn't actually. And like I said, I didn't make this massive complaint, but I just told the truth of, of what had happened. And then about two hours later, I just started thinking about it and thinking, oh my God, you know, what if, what if her husband had left her that morning? What if her best friend was really sick? What if she just had the worst day and, you know, was sort of taking it out on me or customers, which isn't right, but we all do it. Right. And I just 
I just think, and my God, what if she got fired now just because I made a flippant comment about, you know, you, you need to send your staff on customer service training, blah, blah, blah. What if just off the back of that, what if she got fired and she's got kids and, and it just kind of spiraled. And I just started, I went back two days later, she hadn't been fired, she was still there, it was all good. But it just really got me thinking about those sort of very flippant things and how, you know, it certainly wasn't my intention to get her into trouble. He just asked me a question and I impulsively gave him the honest answer. But then you just don't know when something you do or something you say could have a huge effect on somebody's life. And you may never know. Right. Um, and that was kind of where I started. And, and I guess that's the thing with with five bad deeds a lot. You know, I'm sometimes I think I'm sort of underplaying it or giving stuff away when I say there's there's nothing really, it's not necessarily one of those thrillers where you're gonna find out that Ellen murdered somebody in her past or something like that. They're all sort of, you know, situations where she didn't necessarily go into them to do anything wrong, but did. Exactly. That's, that, I know, and that's sort of, it makes it so interesting because it's, she is for all intents and purposes, just, you know, a, you know, an average woman trying to raise three kids, you know, an older daughter and that we know what teenage daughters are like, at least I do. And then she's got these two <laughs> twin boys who are sort of a surprise. And, um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a lot. I wanted to talk about sort of female friendships. Of course, this is killer women. So I always like to dig into the female side. And there is this really, I, I read the book and, and the relationship she has with Nut, uh, Nush. Am I saying that right? And um, and Gwen, they feel like very, you know, typical, and her sister Christy, very typical sort of female relationships, right? I mean, we talk on the surface about so many things, right, without really digging deep into sort of, you know, it's more of a banter between women. And I don't know if it's, you know, because we're afraid to 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 be judged if we sort of talk on a deeper level or if it's. Um, because we have some envy of one another in some in some ways, you know, it seems like that is a thing that you're thinking about in this book. And I haven't read your earlier works, but I'm curious if that is a theme for you and sort of where that comes from and why you find yourself interested in exploring it, because you do it beautifully in the book. Oh, thank you. No, my previous, I mean, previous books were completely different, police procedurals um, and actually a much younger character. Um, but one thing that's quite similar in both the books is that both of the characters started out, we have this very British obsession with class, but both my old uh -huh. character and Ellen in the books kind of was born into one class and now kind of is another. But then I don't really know. I don't, under I don't understand class. Is it about money? Is it about where you grew up? I'm not really sure how we define it. But she definitely, she now lives a life that is very different to the life that she was born into. Right. Um, and, you know, the relationship that she's formed with Nush, she seems Nush is very much this sort of queen of the middle class. Right. And she, even though she has done well for herself and she has nice things and she's kind of living that same sort of life, it's kind of, do, do you ever really outrun your childhood? Right. Um, really intimidated by Nush, even though, as you say, she would never really admit that to her. Mm -hmm. um, but she does, she always just feels a little bit just not not as good in in every way um whereas the relationship she has with Gwen 
um, I think, so, I can't actually remember who says it now, but I think in the book, somebody almost remarks that she's got this sort of nush who she looks up to and Gwen, who she feels, not that she looks down on in a really horrible way, but just she's young and she just, she feels like she can be a bit more of the mother hen and she can give a bit more to Gwen. Mm -hmm. And then Christy is just, yeah, a kind of, um, I want to say toxic sibling, but they love each other. They do love each other, but they don't like each other very much, I suppose. Well, and, I, and again, I think that's like you said about intention. There's some things that happened to Christy that she blames her sister for that Ellen doesn't really even know that she's being yeah. blamed for, right? And I think the same is true of all of those relationships. I mean, Nush is, you know, she's got her own stuff going on. And even though she, from the outside, she looks, you know, polished and like she has it together, of course, you know, and I love that we get into these points of view. So we get to see you know, because of course each of us has the things we feel good about, the things that look good from the outside and all the stuff inside that tells us we're not worthy, we're not smart enough, rich enough, whatever, you know, and that I think is, that's a sort of universally, I think probably men do it too, but I feel like it's such a universally woman thing to always yeah. be sort of comparing ourselves and discounting ourselves, you know, in comparison to other women. So I, I found that really, it, you know, I can see myself in each of them, which I think is interesting too, right? Oh. I mean, yeah. right? I think that's that's really a trick because there there are certainly bad, um, I mean, there are bad behaviors and bad things done in this book. And so there are, you could say there are bad people, but it really yeah. is more like, you know, how we, how we all, you know, all are sort of trying to stay above water in our own way and even the relationship like so her daughter Orla um yeah. and her friend Esme um their you know relationship they're two t teenage girls and of course there's a there's power play there um yeah. very very clearly and that's very of course that's very universal for that age um and even the mother-daughter stuff you know it's just there's so many layers of it so that I think is um is interesting and the idea of how much we hold back from others you know and that's kind of why because again going back to my my first novels they were all first person one point of view all through the eyes of this young detective yeah. um, and I knew I wanted to do something that was a bit more multiple point of view but I didn't necessarily I think the seven um yeah I think there are seven points of view in total most of it is from Ellen's perspective yeah. so not constant head hopping I think that would probably have been too much mm -mm, um, no it doesn't feel too much oh good um but yeah it I, because so much of the book is about kind of perception how you perceive yourself and how others perceive you it was almost like I had to get out of Ellen's head and see what that person you know how we have one take on a situation and the person stood next to it is reading it completely differently to us right or, um of course so yeah, people to and you I mean you definitely get that quite early on with Nush where you think they're good friends and then in one short chapter you can see not that they're not friends but there's a lot of resentment bubbling mm. yeah bubbling. right and uh, Ellen seems to be somebody who and maybe this is a factor of her being very busy like with little kids and but a little bit unaware of sort of the things that she's done um, you know, unintentionally, but still sort of not, not, oh, not the best self-awareness always. And no. I think what, one of the interesting things in fun factors of the book is that somebody, and I don't think we're, we're not spoiling by saying that somebody seems to be after her and a lot of things are happening in her life that, um, you know, that are, 
that are, you know, bad. Um, for instance, you know, somebody thinks she's a threat to her children. Um, and so, you know, the, the child protective services is what we call them here. And there's a different name, I think, for them um, there. Yeah. But yeah, Thanks. social services. So they get involved. And it, and it is interesting. It brings up a, a, a really valid question, which is, um, what would you do if you thought, you know, you, you had a friend, however close, and you thought she was a danger to her children? You yeah. know, I mean, it right. I mean, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. It was quite. Um, that was quite a tricky one, and I think um, it's trying to sort of balance between, like you say, the genuine care of them actually thinking, is yeah. she all these negative things, and could she be a danger? But at the same time, thinking, you know, she's my friend. I know right. her. Right. To play at my house, but you know. It's it. I mean, it's probably the most emotive thing. Yeah, I mean, there's no coming back from that if you know there would be. Um, no. So yeah, that was kind of why I wanted to put something. I think it does come along the midpoint where it's something quite explosive. Where the first couple of things that happen are, I mean, they're terrible for her, but they're probably a bit more fun in the yeah. sense. Um, a little more bit. like pranks, a little bit more like pranks. And then it becomes, it sort of snowballs. They and embarrass you know, her, but they don't sort of, you know, they're not really tugging at the fabric of her life. No, but that soon, ha you know, that happens for sure. That happens soon. And the other question that I thought was interesting in the book and, you know, is the idea of if you knew that your friend's husband was cheating on her, right? What would you do? I mean, yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I think that that was the right move. I think you have to tell your friend, yeah. um, you know, I mean, I'm just going through a divorce. My husband had a two and a half year affair. Um, nobody, Oof. I mean, nobody knew, I guess, but nobody told me, but I, for sure, I, you know, I'm glad I figured it out. And if somebody had known, I would have hoped they would have told me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I th it was interesting because for so many of these things, I was kind of checking with people and sort of saying it's not necessary because there's no right or wrong with any of them, mm -mm, really. Mm -mm. But, you know, just kind of trying to get different people's views on it. And it was interesting, actually, some of the male friends that I spoke to would just stay out of other people's relationships. Um, of course. <laughs> right. Of course. Of course. That, that makes so much sense to me. So you could go for dinner with this guy and you know, and he was just like, it's not my business, not my business. Yeah, I tell, yeah, I think that is a really, and I think that is, you know, not everybody, not, you know, we're not making total statements, but I think that is the, the, the general consensus. And you know, when you have, you know, you come home from an event with your spouse and you ask like, what did you learn? And they like, they learned nothing. They talked football <laughs> or, you know what I mean? You're like, what? what did you talk about for three hours? And they really just don't, you know, they just- I was talking about this to a friend the other day and saying like, my husband knows God, he plays football a lot and he's been playing there for like two and a half years now. And then I'll say about one of the guys, so what's his wife do? No idea. Right. Doesn't <laughs> no, even, does he... right, exactly. So what does he do? Is no he idea. married? They don't even know if he's married, right? I mean, it's just such a different, yeah, it's a totally different experiences. Well, I do think it's interesting. I mean, I think there is a sense of like, what is our responsibility to, you know, our friends, our children, our, our friends, children, um, our community. And 
I do. I mean, maybe it's, I've always felt this way. So I don't think it's my, my, you know, current strange situation, but I do sort of bend towards the idea that if we know something, say something, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. not if it's, you know, not if you're speculating, right. I mean, not if you, if you're, you know, you're, you're taking a wild guess because you saw somebody walking down the street, but if you saw something obvious, I thought that was interesting. Anyway, that is for sure. That would be really tricky, wouldn't it? If you didn't know for sure, do you say anything then? Or do yeah. you confront him, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. her, if the situation was reversed, you know? Yeah. But then I, I guess that deed, it was kind of, because I always, you know, I always felt that she did the right thing in that yes. scenario. But it was kind of, did she go a bit far? Did she almost sort of, not bully, but sort of bulldoze her into kicking him out? And yeah, like it, that's kind of where the bad deed came in. Did she sort of take on quite a, because of her resentments towards Nersh? And, and I'm saying all this and I wrote it and I don't really know because I think it is, it's right. kind of up to the leader to decide. Right. And I think the, the, you know, the pushback is that she's an adult and she can make her own decision, but it is true there. I mean, having gone through this really recently, the idea that when you tell somebody what has happened, you know, they are like, well, you cannot go back to him. I mean, you are, that is over. And it's, you know, we were married 31 years. So this is like, it is, there is a part, it's really hard because you trust your friends and they know you, they know him. I mean, my siblings in particular were like, you know, you're done with that guy. And there was a part of me who's like, really? There has to be done? So it's, a, it, I mean, I get both perspectives and I think it's really fair to be like, at the end of the day, it was, you know, it has to be my decision, right? Um, yeah. So let's, let's transition a little bit to the power of home because I thought that was also really interesting. So the house that Ellen and her husband live in that they're going to remodel is this, it was sort of considered, like people died there. It was, you know, sort of a cursed house, but also it has this, sort of magical glow in the community it's this beautiful home um you know and it's it sounds like it's it's an older home that that they're thinking about remodeling but you know what they you know Ellen wanted that home so badly and it was such a it sort of and maybe that's her background right that this living in this house in particular yeah right so what is what's the power of a house for us because that I think is another interesting thing about the book I just think I mean I don't know if it's died down a little bit certainly over here with cost of living crisis now nobody can afford to move or can even think about dream homes but there was a period where it was just you know going on I don't know do you have right right move is our property website that was like a great hour get a cup of tea and just go through right move and look at all these houses and sort of imagine what you do with them and um particularly yeah kind of yeah probably those few years before it just and home shows on tv and it there is like you say just this power of um but it's 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 kind of what it represents isn't it it's it's not necessarily for ellen it isn't just a, oh this will be a lovely home for my family to grow up in mm -hmm. it's it's kind of this says i've arrived and this is you know kind of um you know the very instagrammable kitchen that i want to be able to um right show yeah right so I think that it, yeah it's about sort of showing not necessarily showing what she has in a really materialistic way but showing she's as good as everyone else mm -hmm. um, I think that in that in childhood inferiority thing really yeah. you know yeah yeah and I you know I I'm, I'm 
quite happy to speak about it. I'm not a, I'm not a world away from that. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't grow up quite in the sort of environment that she did, but I guess I live a different life now to the one that I was born into. Mm-hmm. Um, a very happy childhood, but just sort of materially quite different. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, went to, went to, went to a good school, but, you know, and interestingly, like being in the world of publishing, which can, which is quite certainly in the UK, you know, you get that imposter syndrome. It is quite middle-class. It is quite, and I sometimes, you know, even now, even though I've got so many wonderful friends, you do have that slight, I don't quite belong here. I didn't go to Cambridge. I, you know, I don't sort of live in this beautiful apartment in the center of London those kind of things that you just keep you down a little bit yeah I don't know that there are that many authors who do those things right I mean I don't I mean I think it most of us are exactly where you are but the imposter syndrome is real and it's I don't know that it ever goes away you know I interviewed Sandra Brown who I I'm sure you know is you know massively successful 120 something New York Times bestsellers I mean she's and she still says that every time she starts a book, she wonders if she can do it. And I think, well, if yeah. she feels that way, then I am screwed. I'll, I'll never, I'll never go yeah. into it with confidence. So I remember reading an interview with um, Marion Keys, mm-hmm. and she was, um, yeah, she says literally every single morning she sits down. Is is this the day where it leaves me? <laughs> where I just right. where I'm shut up for being the. 13 book fraud that I am (laughs) I have no other stories to tell I know I know it's it is interesting and I think that I think part of that is that there is just this little smidge of magic in what we do or maybe a bigger than a smidge because I feel like sometimes it does feel like without that sort of other voice that comes from where I mean obviously comes from our own heads (laughs) I hope but um (laughs) but wherever it comes from without that you do feel like you you couldn't do it right so it isn't it doesn't feel like it all comes from you at least that's my right so then we feel like there is there could be a moment where whatever happens you know you it goes I mean I don't I don't know that that'll happen but it it feels like it could happen I I, I agree I feel like it could happen but it's kind I don't know they just if you just work then it's if you turn up the inspiration comes apparently Yeah, that's right. It's butt in chair, as a, um, my friend Lisa Gardner likes to say. You got to put your butt in the chair, and that is that is absolutely true. Yeah. Oh, you cut out for a second then. Oh, oh, the back. Yeah, so I'm back. My yeah, I'm in Montana, which is like in the middle of the mountains. So occasionally, uh-huh. yeah, occasionally I don't have the best um, Wi-Fi. But what I was just I was just saying, you have to put your butt in the chair. I agree with you. You have to do the work. You have to sit there, even if nothing happens until something happens. So. That's where now you I noticed in your bio you moved back to the place where you grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and how is that to to re-return? Yeah, I mean it was um I lived in so I moved to London after university, lived in London, lived, you know, did everything that you can imagine in sort of 20s and 30s. Um and then I mean really it was driven by finances. We had a flat and we wanted a house and there was no yeah. way we were buying house in London. So Yeah. And then my parents are both still here and they're fine, but they weren't getting any younger. And so it was just like, right. And we were really hesitant, but then we came up to look at houses. And this is a little bit like how I would imagine Ellen, actually. We came up to look at houses, really not sure, because there's something about going back to where you came from. Um, But then when we looked at what we could buy for the same that we 
paying for this time. It was like, oh my God, this is like a grown up house. <laughs> Even <laughs> right, though we were right. well into our thirties. It was like, oh my God, this is where grown ups like, live. Right. We could actually do two things in two different spaces and not have to like, right. <laughs> not yeah. have to hear each other. That's fantastic. Yeah. How far, I am not very familiar with your geography. How far is Coventry from London and where are you? So it's about maybe 90 miles north of um, London. It's okay. it's supposedly the bang centre of England. Oh. Um, I don't know if that's just a tourist thing, but the, there is literally a sort of a pole on a green that says you are now at the very, very centre of England. But I think with the cliffs falling away, they might have to keep <laughs> Right. <laughs> oh, God. That's so scary. But the centre well, anyway. That is. It sounds lovely. Um, well, I love this. Okay, so tell us. Kaz, what is, what's next? What are you working on? Um, so I'm working on my next book and I'm also working on adapting my detective novels for TV, but that's all in very, very early stages in a, but um, I thought I was, I, I wanted to try a different kind of writing, but boy, yeah. I didn't realize what a different kind of writing. It right. Is. It, it's so hard, right? I mean, you take everything out. Yeah, so hard. And I don't, I just don't know. I think because I know I'm, and I can say this because I know what I'm not so good at, but I know I'm really good at dialogue. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, I could, I'll write a script easy. Dialogue's my thing. But I mean, dialogue's just such a, it's part of it, but it's yeah. arguably not even the most important part. It's kind of the story and the visual, you know, being able to write visually and Right. And, and just in short snippets, right. You're like basically kind of describe the room in like two sentences versus being able to sort of paint the full picture. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm curious. That is interesting. Cause I, I, I thought of that of course, but um, it seems really, do you use like a formatting app? Yeah. I use a final draft is kind of the industry okay. standard and it's great. It is really intuitive. It just kind of arranges it for you. Yeah. Um, but it was, I've spent about two months just working on this. I'd written a chunk of the new book. And then I thought, I'm not very good at sort of changing in the day. I need to be working yeah. on one thing or another. Um, so I spent about two months just heads down on um, the script. And now I've gone back to the book. And it is, yeah, like you say, I'm just so used to going to writing something like um, Large Kitchen, Back right. Door Open. Right. <laughs> right. I know, like, I'm trying to be a bit lyrical now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. No, it does a shift, I imagine. And did you stop the book because you thought, sort of thought you had a good feel for it or you felt like sometimes you just need a break to sort of like figure out what's next kind of thing? Um, it, it was kind of like a, a timing thing. Part of me, so the new book, and this may change because there's still quite a lot of work to do it. It's sort of told in three parts and I'd done the first part and I'd plotted out the next part. So I thought now might be time to sort of down tools and um, yeah, start thinking about this script because I've been sort of really really informally talking to a producer about it it's so in the early stages it always whenever yeah. you talk about TV it sounds a lot more glamorous than it actually really I, is so I yeah yeah well um, I, that's really still it's really exciting so that you know yeah it's good and it's kind of fun to have more than one thing going on at a time I feel like so that when you're sort of creative energy you know sometimes I feel like I do need like a three to four week break and it'd be fun to do something else because it's weird not to write at all sort of part yeah. of your day so and I think as well just as as writers and what I didn't do when I first started out was 
I think, you know, it's it's a tough industry and you'll face lots of rejection and it's yes. just the more right and the more you're doing. I mean, don't spread yourself too thin, but the more projects you have, if you get rejected for one, okay, well, I'll just rather right. than, yeah, the first couple of books, I was very all eggs in that basket. It has to do brilliantly or, um, right. but I've sort of learned now, no, it's good to sort of have a few things bubbling and um, try to always be thinking about the next thing. Although that can be a curse sometimes, you always, when you're in the weeds with the book, get an idea for the next book. Yeah, um, well, yeah, right, exactly. Which is, I mean, it's a gift as well as a curse, right? You can make yeah. some notes and, and look forward to it, but you can't really get, yeah, it is, it's a feast or famine is how this, yeah. you know. Yeah. Easter yeah. famine. Well, I love this. This is my first Casper book. It was so fun to read. Um, and um, I wish you the best, best, best of luck. I hope it sells a, bil a billion copies. Um, oh. can, can you tell our listeners where to find you, um, social media or your website? Yeah, so I'm on um, Instagram and Twitter. That's probably where you'll find me mainly. Um, and that is at Kazi F. Wright. So it's C-A-Z-Z-I-F, right? Um, and that's, in, yeah, Instagram and um, Twitter. So I'm not huge on Facebook. I probably should be. I probably should oh, be. well, I, I, I understand. I, you can't be, <laughs> you, it's hard to, we're supposed to like, you know, promote and socialize yeah. and all these things. And then you're like, well, when am I supposed to write my books? That's what I want yeah. to know. So, um, well, <laughs> it was really fun to meet you, Kaz. Um, this was Five Bad Deeds by Kaz Freer. It sounds like she's also got a series um, from before that we can look forward to as well. So thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, this is Killer Women. Bye. Bye.